0: Welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast with Matthew Eels. Yes, Princess. I'm
1: going to rinse you. Oh, yes, Princess. Can
0: you hear me, Piggy?
1: Richard? What are you even doing in there? Business.
0: I need 76 grand now.
1: the trailer for The Big Dog. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eales. In this episode I'm joined by The Big Dog writer and director Dane McCusker. The Big Dog follows Richard Morgan, a stockbroker, suburban family man and secret findom addict. On the morning of his son's graduation party, Richard discovers his dominatrix has cleaned out all of his bank accounts, including the money for the graduation present, a new car. Now, over the course of one Saturday, Richard must try and recover the $76,000 without his wife discovering his secret life. Dane McCusker is a writer, producer and director of award-winning content across multiple mediums. Originally hailing from Bathurst, New South Wales, he moved to Sydney in 2009 to participate in the Australia Film, Television and Radio School. With a film debut as good as The Big Dog, Dane is certainly a filmmaker to keep an eye on. The Big Dog is in select cinemas from November 9. You can find more details at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Anyway, enjoy. Dane, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. A pleasure to be here. Um, congratulations on the big dog. Um, this film has some familiar narrative beats that we see consistently in Australian films in that it's set in the suburbs and features a dysfunctional modern family. But what sets this film apart is its exploration of Finder, which, uh, which makes it a truly original film. Um, I love the idea of this man who has some control of his life while being controlled, while losing control, while trying to take back control. Um, it's an absolute right which I enjoyed very much so congratulations again well thank you now I, I said Findom there is that how you'd pronounce that
0: uh Findom is yeah is Find- how I would
1: say it excellent great uh, yeah well I'm looking forward to uh, to talking a bit about uh, that side of the film in a moment but um this interview is being recorded on a Monday morning and the film is being released this Thursday in select cinemas around Australia how are you feeling right now?
0: Yeah. I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling pumped. Um, you know, it's, it, it has been a long time, um, you know, getting it to this point. Um, and I'm glad that it's finally going to come out and, and, you know, hopefully find an audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And now off air just then you, you mentioned that it's been three and a half years. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Three and a half years. So uh, actually, yeah. Yeah. About three years. Cause yeah. it was the start of 2020.
1: Right. Right. Um, so tell us a bit about this journey to get it from the beginning to, to where it is now.
0: Yeah. So, um, I had been, you know, doing short films and things, um, for a while and I'd been trying to make a feature. I've be, been really trying to get a debut feature off the ground. Um, and I'd had a couple that I'd written, um, that I was, you know, really trying to make. Um, and then I saw a, a pathway to do it by uh, re-enrolling it afters, um, and using the master's degree there and some of the resources to try and, um, get a film into production. Um, cause I'd seen, I'd seen a film, Come out of there a few years before me, uh, called Sequin in a Blue Room, that had done yeah. that really effectively, um, and so you know I saw that as a possible opportunity, um, and and kind of re-enrolled. Um, I'd already been through afters, but I, I came back and did a masters there, um, and I came in expressly, you know, saying I'm going to going to make a feature in here, I'm going to produce this film, um, but all of the the kind of scripts that I'd had saved up. I knew that none of them were really going to work Um, so I had to come up with something new um, right at the beginning of the course Um, and I I just happened to be scrolling Instagram one morning and I saw um, you know a a Findom session um, pretty much the opening scene of the film um, I saw that verbatim in an Instagram story in the first line of the film verbatim Um, and it was just something that that just instantly sparked ideas and I kind of just knew knew where I could take that story and that character and, and what that world would look like. Um, and, you know, it, it was touching on things and themes that I'd kind of explored in my short form work. Um, so it just it felt like a really natural thing. And it really like, yeah, it was just one of those things that I saw it and instantly kind of knew that was going to be the next story.
1: Yeah, excellent. Well, I am looking forward to uh, getting into those themes and and you know talking a bit more about them and and also uh, you know how you came across Findom, which um, is is very interesting to me. But uh, one of my favorite things about this podcast is going back to the very beginning of of a filmmaker's career. And um, even though this is your first feature film as director, you've been making short films for over a decade now. Uh, yeah. You grew up in Bathurst. Take us back to those days and how films were part of your life in, in those early years.
0: Yeah, so I caught the bug really, really young. I got um, a, a VHS copy of Terminator 2 when I was about six years old um and I just instantly fell in love with it it was just I was obsessive with this thing um and I used to watch it all the time on repeat until the tape busted basically um and and from there that was it there was just something in that and and kind of storytelling and filmic cinematic storytelling that just gripped me so young and I knew um that I kind of wanted to be a part of it somehow um and then you know, I mean, because it because it was so young. Then you you spend years kind of developing taste in what you like and and maybe being a bit more selective about some of the films you watch and like. You know, developing yeah, a, you know, a, a, a taste. Um, and then it was difficult. Um, you know, in Bath, like because there was you know blockbuster video at the time and and things like that, but there wasn't really like we had one cinema and there wasn't like a wide selection of stuff. It was pretty much just whatever you know was was kind of the uh, blockbuster of the day was playing there. Um, but you know I kind of, yeah just kept kind of cultivating a taste and watching movies and then eventually um, I moved to Sydney to go to Afters the first time in 2009. Um, and yeah, and there I kind of met a lot of people that I worked with over the next maybe 10 years or so and and yeah, and kind of found a tribe and and just yeah connected to the Sydney filmmaking community.
1: I love it. Love it. Uh, I love that you said Terminator 2 there. I often think what movies I'd say if someone was to ask me that question, and I always go back to Terminator 2. It's, uh, we did the exact same thing. We'd run that uh, that video of VHS every Friday night or every weekend and, until it was worn out. It really is a perfect film. Um, what, what, what other movies did you enjoy watching uh, that still impact your filmmaking today? Um, so I,
0: I got into Stanley Kubrick fairly early, um, and that was a big influence that kind of always has stuck with me. Um, mm. You know, he's just someone that is is such a perfectionist um, and, and just does things um, so unconventionally, but it just makes them feel really effortless. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he's someone that's always been a really big influence on me. Um, and then, you know, like, when, when you're a, a film obsessed kind of teen is all the like, you know, David Lynch and, and all the kind of cool touchstones that you go through. Um, and then, you know, I, I mean, with this film, it was, it was kind of like um, we were taking a lot of influence from more either European influence or American independent films. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, like it, we weren't particularly interested in making um, a really Australian kind of comedy. Um, yeah. Which sounds weird to say but it was like i don't know just just some of the, the comedic stuff that i'd seen come out of this country just felt um a little bit less specific than what we wanted to do um and kind of we wanted to make it yeah a more almost like a dramedy um with you know really embedded in in the characters um which is yeah something that we kind of took influence from from people like um you know todd solens in the us or alexander payne or um you know like on the European side, like, um, I'm blanking, uh, triangle of sadness. Um, What's his name? Oh, I can't think of the name as well. Oh, uh, Ruben, Ruben, Ruben Yes, Oslund. yes. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: that, that, that's uh, all, all very exciting uh, names and uh, I can see where the, where your influence comes from for this film. And I, I am actually interested in talking to you a bit about the comedy side of the big dog, because it is quite hard to to make a big screen comedy in Australia. But uh, yeah, I am looking forward to talking to you about that. Now, um, is Sam your brother? Because I noticed he worked on the music for most of your shorts and, and I'm wondering if, if, you two enjoyed movies together growing up and and if you had that bond
0: yes yeah yeah so he is my brother and he is a incredible musician and so in my um earlier shorts he was uh um, yeah served as composer on a lot of them um and yeah i mean again obsessed with terminator 2 um yeah. i think yeah we watched that together a lot um it, and it was funny like i think he um gravitated more towards music um yeah. like we had a lot of um influence like arts influence in the house my dad was a musician um and we were both into music and into movies and into arts but um i think he gravitated more towards the music side and i gravitated more towards the film side mm-hmm. um although you know like i played in bands and stuff as well um, mm-hmm. and we both yeah have kind of experimented in in either
1: yeah, and uh, actually, it was quite funny because when I looked through the credits for the Big Dog, I was actually looking for Sam's name when it came to music, and there is a Sam who does the music for the Big Dog, but that's it, not your brother, obviously.
0: No, Sam Weiss, Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. was um, he was an after's composer who um, did an incredible job. Um, mm. Yeah, he he came on board really early on the project, um, and 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 we yeah spent a lot of time kind of together passing back and forth influences and, and kind of crafting the, the sound of the score.
1: Yeah. Um, I've got one more question here about, uh, about growing up in, uh, Bathurst because mm. when I think of Bathurst, I think of motorsport and car racing. Is it easy to escape that side of Bathurst if you don't have a direct interest in it?
0: Um, look, it, it was a, it was a place that, um, you know, there, there is a university there as well. So there was there was some kind of, you know, arts community there. Um, and one of the the courses that were offered at the, the university was uh, theatre media. Um, and I, when I was young, knew, you know, some of the lecturers there. And so I used to be able to go up and borrow equipment there and, and you know, kind of use that as a resource and, like, use the um, Charles Sturt Library to look at books on cinema and things like that. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, in, in a way, like motorsport and that kind of um you know very uh, um kind of masculine like energy is is really present in bathis mm. but um it was fairly easy to kind of find um you know veins of other things to to be able to tap into
1: yeah, well that that's great to hear. Um so in 2009 you joined Afters which you mentioned um and your short film Board Games is listed as being uh, released in uh, 2010. Uh, was Board Games the first film you completed as part of Afters? Um no.
0: So I um when I was there uh in in 2009 I um tried to shoot a feature then as well. Um, it was very, very ambitious for you know the kind of course that it was and how skilled uh, like I was and my collaborators were at the time. Um, I had talk a, about
1: jumping straight into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the the ambition there for a while,
1: um,
0: and I had a, a a friend and collaborator called Chris Gaudrito, um, who co-wrote and co-directed this um, feature that we tried to make, um, and we got pretty far along i think we we had we were like maybe two scenes away from from shooting it and then things kind of fell apart and we were never able to kind of go back and 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 reshoot some of that stuff which in a way i'm i'm kind of glad about um it's just one of those things that's in a drawer and it was a really great learning experience but it doesn't have to kind of go out into the world and and people don't have to see it which is probably good um (laughs) Because I was also an actor in it, which I'm not good at at all. So I'm kind of glad that that's just um in in a drawer somewhere on a hard drive.
1: oh, well, as long as you've got it somewhere there for your own personal archives, and that's great. So was that your only acting experience? Oh your only uh, attempt at acting? Yes. um, yeah. I've done like
0: a few little kind of other things, but not, yeah, not anything um, big. I just it's one of those things that I know that I'm not good at, so I just <laughs> kind of steer away from it.
1: So was it out of necessity that you performed in the film?
0: Um, I think it was because, you know, we we had put together this kind of short um, that I, yeah, out of necessity, I acted in one of the characters. And then when we expanded it, it was just, yeah, we never
1: got around to recasting that role. So I just just kept doing it. Uh oh, that's great to hear. Um, uh, you have this mix of short films either written by yourself or written by someone else. Uh, when it comes to making movies uh, written by yourself or, or someone else, do you have a preference?
0: Yeah, I, I do um, like to write my material. Um, I think that, you know, I, there's just something about, um, you know, going through the process of drafting and scripting that that you get to know um, the characters in the story so intimately that it makes the, the kind of craft of directing a little bit easier, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when you come to that part, you're already so enmeshed in, in the world and in the story. Um, I I did, I have worked with um, Chris Gorgito, who I mentioned. He wrote some shorts that I directed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was a really great collaboration and I liked doing that. Um, but yeah, I think I do prefer um, being part of the scripting process. Um, I, I think it just... There's just something about it that makes it um, a little bit more uh, cohesive, and and it felt like it's more um, authored by by someone. I think.
1: Yeah, where do you think your strengths lie personally? Do you do you think your you know that your writing and directing strengths are both are both equal, or or do you have a, a preference over the other?
0: Um, well, I think I think naturally I just gravitate towards um, you know a, a, a style that is pretty performance based Mm -hmm. um and so in that regards i think you know it's something that i have to spend a lot of time on the scripting and on the dramaturgy to kind of get right there like i feel like the um the directing part of it is um is really about yeah kind of bringing to life that that stuff off the page it's not like i'm kind of trying to reinvent anything in a crazy way or you know like um you know a wild kind of experimental visualist or anything like that i just Mm -hmm. um I, i really like things that feel, um, yeah, kind of a bit literary and a bit really performance focused.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any mentors who you share your scripts with or, or you're writing to get their opinions?
0: Um, well with this one, um, because I was going through the master's program, I did have, um, you know, Rowan Woods was the head of directing there at the time. Right, um, right. and you know, he was, he was great at like giving advice and mentorship, um and Megan Simpson hooverman who was also a big influence on the development of the script. Um, so yeah, I did I did have a people around. Um, I mean, but also just peers. Like I, I keep mentioning Chris Quadrito, he's someone who I've worked with for quite a long time. And he is an incredible writer and an incredible story mind. Um, and you know, we've had a long history of of sharing scripts and and giving each other feedback. Um, so there are, you know, it's either yeah, like peers that you really respect or, you know mentor figures that you can find there there have been a few of both
1: yeah and and it's so important to have those uh, now i'm wondering uh how do you take feedback and criticism uh, do you take it uh, easily yeah
0: i think you know that's a, a big part of any filmmaker's journey is being able to to you know take on criticism and 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 development is such a an important part of the process like mm. script development i mean and like or even in the edit room as well. I mean just getting outside opinions um it's 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 finding people that you respect that will disagree with you. That's that's the the secret. You know, it's like you have to um find people that you know you really have a shared sensibility with and you know that they understand the material and they understand you and your voice, but they also can can look at things objectively yeah. um and be able to to diagnose problems and and help you. I mean mm-hmm there's always like the initial resistance when you hear a note, like there's always something you knew that's like, Oh, I don't know about that. Um, but then you kind of have to listen to it and and then absorb it and then, you know, internalize it in your own way and then apply it. And I think that's kind of, yeah, that's a big part of learning the craft and and, and the journey of any filmmaker.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's such an it's such a great way to learn, um, and you know, collaboration is key. I don't believe anything can be done with just one single person. Um, yeah, collaboration is so important. Um, I, I just want to ask you about Rage because uh, from two thousand sixteen to two thousand seventeen, you produced six episodes of Rage. Um, um, I'm not sure. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So I was, um, the program coordinator and then, I uh, the backfill producer for the show for, yeah, about six years. So wow, I, wow. I, I did produce like a bit of it, um, probably more than six episodes, but I think yeah. that's just IMDB weirdly assigned me <laughs> those episodes. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I've learned very clearly over the years not to uh, trust IMDb 100%. Uh, but, yeah, that, that is why I wanted to ask you about it because I'm not sure how old you are, but you did mention Terminator 2 and VHS back uh, before, so maybe we are of a similar age. Um, uh, rage is such an institution for for anyone my age in particular. So how did all of that come about for you?
0: Um, so I, I talked a bit before about how I kind of had a musical influence and yeah. a filmmaking influence, and yeah. I think it was just the right mix of those two at the right time. I just saw, you know, a job come up there. And I I had, yeah, you know, I'd played in bands. I was really across music um, and especially, you know, rage kind of brand of, of music and culture. Um and had the experience in in kind of TV production at the time. Um so it was just, yeah, the right mix of stuff. And it was it was a really good job to have um, you know, as as a emerging filmmaker, because you see so much interesting stuff through Mm. music videos. Mm. Like there's so much, um, experimentation and just, it just exposed me to a lot of kind of really current influences and stylistic things. And, you know, it was just a great, um, melting pot to kind of take, uh, yeah, inspiration from.
1: Yeah. Now, I have spoken to other filmmakers who started their careers in music videos. Uh, so now I'm interested in, in your opinion on this. But is, is the music video dying? Is, is, is this a dying art? Or, or what's your opinion on that? Uh, we, we just don't seem to see as many of them nowadays. Or, or, or I guess, you know, as many aren't, uh, you know, a bigger part of popular culture as they used to be.
0: Yeah, I think that's maybe more a shift in just how um, music is marketed and consumed. I think it's yeah. changing so rapidly. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the music video is maybe becoming a bit of an antiquated thing. I'm not sure. I just think that, you know, like, I think that social media marketing and, and ways of consuming music have changed so much. I, I'm not sure that, yeah, the, the, the music video is, is as a dominant force in, in, in kind of culture as it was once.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm really interested to know whether if you have any favorite video clips or, or anything that you can recommend, uh, you know, young filmmakers check out uh, for influence.
0: Um, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't (laughs) thought about it in a while, but I I do love the unhinged nature of, of like Guns N' Roses music videos. Uh Um, there's just something, they were just given too much money and they just made the most ridiculous (laughs) over the top music videos that you've ever seen. Um, They're all like way too long and just, they've got way too much budget, but they're, yeah, they're incredibly unhinged and I kind of, I'm there for it.
1: Oh, awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking out some Guns N' Rises video clips now after uh, this recording. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into the big dog. But, but before we do, I want to ask you about two of your previous short films, which I watched ahead of this interview, um, and they were Angel Fish and The Complex. Um, they're two very impressive films, which I will link listeners to when I publish this episode, actually. Um, you explore similar themes throughout these two films, which complement the big dog uh, in that they focus on women who encounter these Um, you know, horrible, overpowering men. Um, Patrick in Angelfish could almost be forgiven because of his age. But the much older Brendan in the complex, he's an outright pig. Um, Watching all three of these films consecutively, it's almost as though I was witnessing the evolution of uh, the big dogs, Richard Morgan, through these other two films. Do do you think that's fair to say in some regard to the construction of of these three films together?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean it wasn't anything that was, um, designed. Um, it was just that the, the, those kind of thematic things were just in the ether at the time of, mm. of writing. And it just, something that I felt like I could say something about, mm. um, and it was probably necessary, um, for, for me to say something about, um, you know, I think that just the angelfish was, was kind of conceived, um, around when me to, kind of first kicked off um yeah. and there was a lot of um public discourse about kind of you know inappropriate behavior and and what constitutes it and and where the um the kind of privileges of men to behave that way kind of how they come about and how they're they're uh, proliferated through kind of you know different cultural things um and and so yeah it was just something that was really present in my mind at the time and mm and and something as a man making films you know i just knew needed to be kind of dissected and looked into because it's something i have encountered and experienced and and you know in various different ways through like you know stories or other people i know or you know smaller versions of it in myself that i kind of wanted to to like look into and 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 yeah and i think just it, it felt like there was always more, um, to explore. So I didn't, I didn't specifically set out to say, I, I want to make a film about this again. It just, mm-hmm. when I went, sat down to write, that's just kind of what came out. Um, but you know, it, it's funny looking at, um, looking at your career retrospectively or things that you've made retrospectively and seeing continuities in them after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really funny. Like I, it didn't, I didn't ever think about this or, or realize it until, for some reason i had to go back and watch them both um and in the context of making the big dog um and realized even that um hopefully no, i'm not giving spoilers away here but they all end in a kind of similar way all three yes. of them yes. um the, the final shots even are a pretty similar and <laughs> it was not anything that i'd thought about um while i was doing it and not something i even noticed until you know 6 months to a year after finishing the big dog so yeah. it is interesting seeing Continuities and things that are bubbling up in your mind that you don't even really know are there.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting to hear you say that, you know, that, that you're not doing this consciously, it's just happening. But I guess because, you know, uh, these themes are so prevalent um, in society at the moment, I guess that's why it's coming through in your work. And uh, and watching the three films, it, it was almost like, yeah, as I said, like the evolution of Richard Morgan. Uh, we were almost watching him from a, a teenager to a middle-aged man, uh, you know, to a, to, a, to a fully grown adult with a family. Yeah. Um uh, so so tell us what is it about the psychology of of these domineering men that makes you want to explore it throughout your films.
0: Well, I think it's just that kind of uh you know it's it's kind of been coined as toxic masculinity but mm-hmm. you know I feel like that's become almost a word that is has been overused but that yeah. that, that idea is so far reaching into mm-hmm. every kind of aspect of society um and really impacts everyone in in really horrible ways and so there is a lot of material there to to kind of think about and explore um and and yeah it's just the effects of of this kind of behavior on everyone else and on the person that even is is you know exhibiting that the kind of behavior um you know it's detrimental to everyone and it's yeah. i think that's why it's interesting for me to explore it because it's like you know there there are a lot of yeah nuances and variations in it but it's 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 for me about um you know, holding these behaviors and these kinds of men to task um mm-hmm. and and not you know being uh you know trying to to forgive any of that behavior, but mm-hmm. it's about kind of getting underneath it and finding you know what's going on there and um you know, just thinking about ways that that could um you know be be a little bit of an antidote to to some of that stuff because mm-hmm. I think um you know in the big dog it's really. You know, positioning openness and and vulnerability as, as kind of that, a little bit of that antidote, even if, you know, Richard doesn't necessarily get there in the end, mm-hmm. um, you know, there is, there is, uh, you know, an idea in there that he is a human being with the capacity to change um, yes. and, and yeah. hopefully he will
1: yeah um i'm not sure if you've read andrew pierce's review at the curb but uh, he he gives a very good insight into into this richard morgan character and he is uh, through his review he is saying you don't have to forgive richard for what he's done because at the end of the day he is a bit of an asshole
0: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it's funny because i um you know doing it through afters again there was like a, a research component that you have to do alongside whatever your practice is. Oh. Um, and I was kind of looking a lot into, um, you know, empathy and storytelling mm. and whether or not, you know, you can use um, judgment as a, as a similar engagement tool. So, mm. so rather than having, you know, a character that has to be likable, you could start a story, you know, leveraging an audience's judgment of someone. So you watch the film kind of seeing that he's you know a piece of shit, and, and wanting him to be punished. And that's kind of where the engagement and the humour comes from. Yes, um, But yes. then, you know, developing some level of empathy and understanding over the course of a 90-minute you know, story. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at cinemaaustralia.com.au.
1: Uh, so we'll just let listeners know that the big dog follows um, Richard Morgan and uh, w- when his secret dominatrix cleans out all of his bank accounts, Richard has one day to save his life from ruin. Um, so I'm wondering, regarding research into this, when did you first hear the word uh, FINDOM and and uh, uh, as in financial domination, when did you first come across that?
0: Um, I, I encountered it a little bit, um, just kind of, you know, on the internet because it was a very, um, it was a very kind of hot button, um, issue to kind of write about for a little bit. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was kind of like, um, all of these youth publications kind of picked up on this thing, like vice and, you know, kind of publications like that started writing about FinDom. Right, right. Um, and, and it seemed like it reached this kind of like critical mass in the culture where, you know it was kind of sp- spreading around and i think i'd read a, a few like uh, instances of of kind of young women that had kind of just read about it and thought oh great like you know this is um this is like a, a really easy way to make money mm-hmm. um and kind of rushing into it without really understanding the nuances of of like a dom sub relationship or any of the kind of actual mechanisms and levers and psychological stuff that they have to kind of understand to be able to do it successfully. Mm. Um, and so just encountering that and that side of this fetish, um, it just, yeah, it really interests me. Um, and, and also I think just, it's, it's kind of like the way that it, that meshed in with talking about toxic masculinity Mm. and kind of, you know, being an internet, um, based kind of, you know, um, subculture, it it just felt really current and really modern in a way that I thought was interesting and wanted to explore.
1: Yeah, I feel completely ignorant because this is the first I'd ever heard about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Are well, you
1: finding it, that with other people?
0: It's it's 50-50. Because you yeah. know, when when I was like even pitching the movie, I would have to start with, yeah, do you know what FinDom is? <laughs> yes, um and yes. you know, It was, it was 50, 50. So half the people I would encounter would be like, oh yeah, of course. And then the other half would be like, no, I have absolutely no idea what that is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering how deep uh, your research into this went uh, while you were writing it. Yeah, pretty, pretty deep. I
0: mean, not, (laughs) not to the point where I was engaging in fandom. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. not that rich. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, yeah, like I... I did speak to a couple of um women that were, were doing it. Like I just kind of reached out over Twitter and said, you know, I'm I'm writing a story. Would you be okay just to kind of chat to me for a minute and just make sure that, you know, I can, I can get this right and kind of portray it without, you know, making it look, um, you know, I, I never wanted it to be a target of ridicule. It was always mm-hmm. kind of like Richard and Richard's adultery and he's lying at the problem, not that he's involved in this fetish at all. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, I just, I thought the more research I did, the, the the clearer I'd be with what I was saying and um, the less I would, you know, fall into that trap and, and demonize fandom because it's just not what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah, that, that's very interesting and, and admirable to hear you say that, actually. Um, uh, so now I'm wondering, uh, through this research and through speaking uh, to some of those people uh, who were involved in it, did you incorporate any of those stories into this film?
0: Um, I, I didn't, re- I didn't take anything, you know, specifically from any of those people. It was just yeah. about, um, you know, understanding how it worked and getting mm. them to really, um, you know, ex- explain and, and, and show me how, you know, what, what, what Fyndom was realistically, because, mm. you know, you can read about it in an article, but to really like understand the human nuances of it, you kind of have to talk to someone who does it. And, and, you mm. know, that was, that was what it was about. It was really, really finding, um, those people and, 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 and just getting there, um, not necessarily specific experiences and using them but it was just about working out how how it worked and how how I could portray it
1: yeah and uh, while I was researching this film last night uh, I can't find any examples of this being explored in any other film before which is what I think makes this film completely original is that the case with yourself or had you heard or, or seen any other films exploring this
0: um, so I, I think that there's like a little bit of like, um, I mean, when, when we were writing it, cause we, I think we've got to, um, production and then, uh, shiver baby came out, which isn't really about Findom, but it kind mm. of is a, a similar, um, like sugar baby kind of fetish. Mm. Um, so that, that was something that we were aware of. Um, but you know, we'd already, I'd already written the film by that point. Um, so I couldn't really, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to like, you know, change anything to, to. <laughs> assuage any kind of similarities I might have to something that was already yeah. existing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, uh, You mentioned before that you made uh, The Big Dog as part of your Masters of Directing course at Afters. Uh, uh, what are some of the pros and cons of making a movie this way? Talk, talk us through that process.
0: Well, I, I don't think it would have happened any other way. Like I'd been yeah. trying for a long time to to make it any other way. Um, I think, you know, it was really about um, convincing the school that I could pull it off. Mm -hmm. Um, and that took a lot, um, you know, I mean, they were not, they they were supportive, um, but I just had to show them that I could actually finish it and that I could do it, um, you know, with the least amount of impact on other students. Cause Mm -hmm. that was something that was really, really front of mind was, um, was making sure that I wasn't taking resources away from anyone else, Mm -hmm. um, having a project that was much bigger than what everyone else was doing. Um, so I think that, that was one thing, um. There was also, you know, one of the conditions of doing it was, um, you know, having the, the, there's the kind of newest equipment and things like that. And we would a lot of the time have to take things that other productions didn't want Mm -hmm. um, and kind of make do with that. Um, So that, that was also a a little bit of a challenge sometime, Um, but we were able to, to kind of get around that and, and, and yeah, pull off what we needed to pull off with the, the resources that we had.
1: How long did it take to shoot all up?
0: It was 20 days.
1: 20 um, days, wow.
0: Yeah, and so we had, because um, it's majority one location, um, we found an Airbnb um, because it was also in between um, two of Sydney's lockdowns, COVID lockdowns. Ah. Um, and it just so happened that because there were no international travellers and the borders were closed, a lot of Airbnbs were vacant and we found one that was just this woman's, second mansion that she owned that she would hire out as an airbnb um and she was really 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 cool about everything surprisingly
1: yeah
0: um we we stayed in there for the 20 days um my partner jess is also my producer so we just lived in this airbnb and and yeah kind of shot for 20 days um but yeah the owner was actually surprisingly like cool about everything we kept kind of coming to her saying like you realize we're going to have to take all of your furniture out, put it in storage and completely redress your house. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) We're like, okay, um, see that door down the end of the hallway. We're going to have to take that off, um, bring in our own door and put it the other way around. And she was just kind of like, yeah, that's fine. So everything. Oh man, you
1: can't ask for anything better than that.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was really, it was really cool.
1: Yeah. And so the house had never been used as a film before. She hadn't had any experience with this?
0: No. No, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. No, but I, I, it was like the, the after thing. We just tried to be as the least impactful
1: as possible. Yes, yes. Um, uh, Making a feature film through afters gives you access to some resources, which you just mentioned then. Uh, But but I'm assuming you still have to raise a lot of funds on your own. And I don't, uh, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows that I don't like asking questions about budgets. And I know not every filmmaker likes talking about budgets, but uh, I'm, I am a little bit curious for the sake of our, young filmmaker listeners how did you go about uh, you know raising some of those funds
0: so you get a very small uh cash budget to do your your master's project Mm. um so that was a a a part of it um i again because it was covid was able to tap into my super um so i pulled that out and invested that into the film yeah um and then Afters were, were were good but they were only going to support the film up until a certain point and yes. as soon as we graduated we were on our own. Mm-hmm. Um so we we were in um the picture edit um and we still had quite a bit left to go um and and they kind of you know had to had to push us out the door for the next year coming in behind us. yeah Um so we had to do a lot of fundraising in in post on the back end of it. Yeah. Um and so a lot of that actually we 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 hooked up with a company in the us called slated um and they're they're kind of like a social media platform that that connects investors and independent filmmakers Ah.
1: um
0: and so we found um a a big chunk of the the budget that way um and and also they helped with getting us um a a post deal with a post house in australia that that um, came on as an ep and, and also
1: helped with a little bit of financing Wow. That's very interesting to learn about Slater. That sounds amazing.
0: Yeah. They, they were really helpful. I, you know, cause you can, you can submit a project to them. Like you can either just use their platform to kind of find people or you could submit a project to them and they will get studio readers to judge it and give it a score. Yeah. Um, and if it, if it scores above a certain amount, then they'll look at it personally and, and kind of come on and help EP it to get it over the line.
1: Oh, incredible! Have you heard of any other people using this service? Um,
0: yes, I because that's how I found out about it. I mean, mm. I kind of encountered it, but it it was one of those things that looked like it would be too good to be true. Like it kind <laughs> of looked a bit scammy or something to me. So I was like, oh, I, I don't know. It seems like I I I didn't really want to touch it. But then I would talked to a uh, another filmmaker who said that they'd found quite a bit of their budget that way. So right. that's why I I kind of persevered and and yeah, reached out to them.
1: No, oh, thanks for sharing uh, that information. I'm sure a lot of people will, uh, you know, get a bit out of that. Um, other than James Fraser, who you worked with on your short film "The Hand That Feeds," this is an entirely fresh cast for you. Uh, can you tell us about assembling these actors for this film?
0: Yes, uh, although Rupert uh, from from the complex is also one of the voices on the phone as well.
1: Ah, right, right. There uh, you go. So he did.
0: He did come back. Um, yes. Yeah, but it, we um, we we cast this. Uh, a more traditional way like in in, with my shorts it was people kind of that I would know personally or socially or Mm -hmm. you know like my my partner again Jess who was also an actress was in the complex um but but this was cast in a more traditional way like we had uh Danny Long a casting agent um help us um and she did an incredible job we looked at quite a lot of tapes for all of the characters Mm -hmm. um and, and it was a really, it was a really great process because I'd never really, you know, had the resources or the the kind of, yeah, the power to, to actually cast something that way before. Um, so, yeah, it, it was good seeing a lot of tapes and a lot of auditions um, and interesting, you know, settling on the cast that we eventually cast in it, you know, because mm-hmm. especially with Paige, it was, it took us a while to find um, the right page um mm. i think just just reading dominatrix uh, people automatically kind of assume that it's a really hard um you know forceful character that they need to play mm. um and i think asher was one of the only ones that kind of brought out that that kind of brattiness and you know playfulness that's more associated with Findom rather than, than you know like a whip and leather dominatrix mm. Um, but yeah, so so that that was you know a, a good process finding all of them and 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 finding the right ensemble that could all kind of fit together and mm. and look like a family and interact you know and play off each other in a really interesting way.
1: Yeah, they all work so well together here in this film. I mean, the cast makes it really. It, it it's a it's almost like a three handed chamber piece. This film. And you did mention that uh, you did you all live together during the shoot for the for the twenty days.
0: So uh, Julian lived there some of the time. Um, yeah. Jess and I lived there and then everyone else would come and go. Yeah. But, yeah, but right. yeah we, Julian um, was, was staying there sometimes with us. So it was, yeah. it was good. It was a good little, um, you know, almost felt like a film family just in, yeah. in this house.
1: Yes. And, and I assume that that helped with bonding uh, together. You, you yeah. all must've got along very well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was quite a, a, a good shoot in that way. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was difficult just because, you know, any independent uh, film is is difficult to shoot. But mm. we had a really great uh, first AD, Annabelle Mills. She was just an absolute gun at being able to schedule things um, in a way that meant that we were always kind of, yeah, we were, we were always moving, um, but it was never too much. We never had too much on our plate. There was always enough time to do everything, which was which was great.
1: Wonderful. Uh, how much of the film did Julian spend in the pink underwear?
0: i think he's still got him on no um <laughs> he uh, yeah I, a bit um he was the, the costume was funny because um we we saw it the first time and we were like yeah that's that's perfect just like you know the yellow shorts and and the thongs and everything mm-hmm. um but then a little bit into the shooting i was like i don't know did we go too far is it too much of a caricature And and julian it's not, not anything that he would normally wear. So he was yeah. always like, oh, these shorts, I just don't know. <laughs> um, and then one day while we were shooting on one of the weekends, we just went to get a coffee, um, at, 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 you know, because it was actually, you know, in in the location that it's set. Um, and so we went around the corner to get a coffee in Mossman. And all of these guys were there in, you know, these pastel shorts. and Unbelievable. And so yeah. we were like, okay, great. We've we've, we've done it justice.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so funny! And yeah, you've you've given this main character a costume. You know, everyone's going to recognise him now through those yellow shorts. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask you if there was a significance to the yellow shorts, but um, yeah, I guess you've answered it just there.
0: Yeah, and, and it, when when we were shooting, kind of the first, um, maybe third of the movie because it's shot in a way that was designed to be really kind of austere and, and observational and the camera doesn't really move at all. We'd, we'd mm. choose these frames, um, Ollie, the cinematographer and I, and then we kept realizing that we'd just put the shorts so front and center every time. And then once we kind of realized that we just, we just kept doing it cause we thought yeah. it was so funny. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, it also, it, it just amped up the tension because, you know, immediately, from the, the beginning that he's got the G-string under there. So every time yes. you see the shorts from then on, you, you're you
1: thinking about that and that tension. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I'm not sure how much you have to do with the marketing of this film, but uh, it works so well for the marketing. As soon as people see those yellow shorts again, they, they, they'll recognise the film. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> next Halloween, hopefully that's a costume on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you, you spoke a bit about the house and, and you mentioned that you moved out all of the, uh, furniture and while I was watching the film, I don't know, these things kind of catch my eye sometimes, but I did notice the artwork on the walls and I'm wondering whether was the artwork a part of the, uh, house design already, or, or did you bring that artwork in because one, the artwork's quite impressive and, and it is eye catching as well.
0: Yeah, so all of that, every artwork you see um, in the house was done by our art department. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. Kaylee Miles, who is our production designer, yeah, painted some of them herself. Yeah, Yeah, all of the art department, I think, kind of, like, worked together and and painted all of those paintings, um, which was crazy. When I saw them, I was like, wait, this, this, this was in the house, right? Or you bought this from somewhere, and they're like, no, no, we just painted all of these.
1: Unbelievable. It ties everything together so well.
0: I think there was one one artwork that um, was done by um, Jess Jess's dad, um, who really? who is a, an artist. Um, he contributed a painting to the house, but I think all of the all of the other ones were all um, done by yeah the art department.
1: Oh, um, c- kudos to them! That's fantastic. There were a few
0: um, artworks in Paige's house. Who um, there's a there's an artist called Miranda Lorikeet who I just knew personally, and she um, let us use her artworks and stuff in there, um, mm-hmm. which was great. Um oh. but yeah, yeah. So Page's house, all of those artworks are real uh artists, all the ones in, in the Morgan household, they're all done by yeah, the art department.
1: Unreal. I'm I'm really glad that I got to ask that question because they're the kind of stories that are like capturing here. Um, you know, so people, people know in the future. Um, As I touched on earlier, I I have only seen a couple of your short films. So I'm wondering, is The Big Dog the furthest that you've gone with the comedy genre? Because it is a very funny film and, and there's some very, you know, big laugh out loud moments in this film. Tell us a bit about writing a comedy and, and, and how it was for you.
0: Yeah. um, So I have done uh, comedy in the past, um, but I think it was just, working out like what what my specific comedic voice is um mm-hmm. and you know because i'd kind of gone the, the last two shorts before this were both straight dramas um and i and i kind of liked working in that realm um but then yeah there was just something inherently absurd and funny about the situation and findon that just mm-hmm. lent itself to to comedy and the kind of comedy that i you know thought that i could do um and there's just i i really like mixing tones and things and so that's why it's like he really it's quite a stressful film but you know it's comedic um mm-hmm. and and dramatic in a lot of ways too um but but yeah there was quite a bit of um development in the script to to really find that and find the parts that were funny um and 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 making sure that we weren't just kind of throwing jokes into it that, that mm-hmm. the humor was all really um you know, situation and character based in a way. Like, you know, there's not not a lot of um, you know, big jokes in it. It's just mm-hmm. kind of, yeah, small observances that that kind of struck me that I thought were funny. Um, but it was also it was also really hard because we're in post for so long, I wasn't I wasn't sure that it was <laughs> gonna be a comedy by the time yes, it kind dear. of came out. Mm-hmm. Um it just it felt very dramatic, uh, you know, in the last part of the edit because all of the kind of humor by that point I'd just seen so many times. Um, but, but it was really, um, assuring to, to see it at Sydney film festival with a crowd and everyone was kind of laughing and, and gasping and laughing. So yeah, it was great.
1: Oh, I love hearing that. Uh, were they laughing in, in the right moments or were people laughing in, in unexpected moments?
0: Um, no, it was all, it was all pretty expected. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah. all, all of the laughs and all of the gasps really kind of synced up and, and uh, yeah, it felt, it felt great to hear that just because I, <laughs> I had no idea I'd never seen it with an audience before. So it was, yeah, yeah it was great. Yeah.
1: Audiences are very funny, actually, because um, uh, I find, well, I don't know if this is just an Australian thing, but uh, I saw The Rooster recently by Mark Leonard Winter. Yeah. Very serious, heavy film, yet people laughed in certain moments when I didn't feel like people should be laughing, but I almost feel as though we laugh when we feel uncomfortable yes. as well as during funny moments. Uh, so would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, and I think uh, in in this film, they're, they're kind of the same thing a lot of the yeah. times, like the yeah. discomfort yeah. and the humour kind of come come at the same time a lot of the yeah. time.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, I've got two more questions here before we wrap this up. Um, I'm wondering uh, what's the biggest lesson that you learned while making this film that you'll take into your next movie?
0: Um, I, I, I'm i not sure that I'll take it into the next movie, but, I, I mean, a big a big lesson for me, I think someone told me before I was um, uh, going to shoot this, they were like, with such, you know, limited resources and it being your first time and, you know, low budget film, um, with, you know, student crews, like, I mean, they were all experienced, but, you know, it wasn't like I had, um, you know, 20 years experience crew behind me. Um, someone was telling me, you know, you're only going to do one or two things really well. Um, so you have to kind of focus all your, your attention and energy to, to kind of, you know, a specific area that you, you want, um, to get across. Um, and for me, it was a really, um, it was such a performance focused film, um, and, and just getting story momentum through, through the performances was something that I really spent a lot of attention and time on. Um, and, and I think that was it, just, just kind of being specific and really going after something, um you know, cause you're not, you're not going to get everything that you want. There's always mm-hmm. going to be compromise. I think that was the kind of lesson, um, and, and, and how to, how to, how to kind of put all your, your resources and attention where, where it's, um, kind of needed and, and how to, how to, how to compromise effectively. I think that was it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, great advice. Um, I've got one final question here that I ask all of my podcast guests. Um, uh, you've, you've attended Sydney Film Festival, obviously, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of films in between, but have you seen any Australian films uh, lately that have really stood out for you that you've really enjoyed?
0: Yeah, so so this year, I feel like there have been a lot of independent Australian things come out that I've really liked. Yeah, um, we we premiered at um, Sydney with a film called Bird Eater that that uh, it won the audience award and we got runner up but um, uh, it it is very very impressive I was super impressed by that film
1: I'm so glad that people are mentioning Bird Eater when I asked that question because it's a film that everybody really should see it's it's an incredible movie
0: yeah yeah and it's it's you know it's doing really well it's playing all around the country and getting a great response
1: yeah. Um, Dane, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing these stories with me and and uh, and our listeners. Uh, congratulations on the film again, and thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. Oh, thank you for having
0: me. It was great. Thanks for listening. Find all the latest Australian film news at cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can follow Cinema Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok.